0: Hello New Life Friday night. How are you? It's good to see you. As Pastor Matthew said, my name is Jason Jackson. I'm the associate pastor at New Life downtown and I get to be here with you tonight while Pastor Daniel and Lisa and their family melt in Tulsa, Oklahoma and we enjoy the, like I'm kind of okay Matthew with like the break in the weather and the being inside and the rain and aspect. But Pastor Daniel, Lisa, Lillian, and Wilson Wakeley, if you guys are watching, we love you all. We miss you. Hope that you are doing well and enjoying your time away and with family. Before we open the scriptures, would you pray with me tonight? Yes. Father God, we thank you for gathering us together in your name and by your spirit. And we pray tonight that you'd speak to us. We fundamentally believe as the people of God, That you are the one who speaks. You didn't just speak in the past, but you speak in the present to us through the scriptures. So as we open them up, would you speak to us and give us ears to hear, hearts to believe. All that you have to say to us tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said... Amen, amen. Well, tonight is the fourth week in our series through the book of Proverbs, that series called How Do I, where we're kind of exploring really what do the scriptures have to tell us about the good life. How is it that the people of God live well in God's world? How is it that we're supposed to kind of conduct our business, our going abouts in the world? And tonight, we're going to talk about how do we enjoy our lives? How do we enjoy the life that God has given us? How do we experience the fullness of joy that God has for us. Last night, as I was kind of tweaking a few things on the sermon notes, it was around bedtime, and uh, my nine-year-old wasn't in bed yet, like she was supposed to. And she came in to the room where I was working on the notes, and she's like, "Daddy, what are you preaching on this week?" And I'm like, well, "I'm preaching on how do you enjoy your life." And she's like, "I want to hear that sermon." This <laughs> is. Like everybody wants to hear that sermon. There was something like she heard this idea of enjoying life, and immediately, like something leaped out inside of her and said, "Yes, talk on that." It's the first time it's ever happened in all of our conversations <laughs> about sermons. And yet, there is something that's longing us, even from when we're kids, to enjoy life, and we find it actually maybe even easier as we're kids. And as we grow up, we find it to be hard. And oftentimes we'll hear parents say about their kids that, what are, what are your hopes for them? And sometimes they'll say, well, I want my kids to be happy. And, I, it, and it strikes us sometimes as like, oh, really? Like that's the hope. But what happens to us as we get older is we know that joy's not guaranteed. That we know that there's going to be hardship in life. We know that there are gonna be difficulties that we go through. We know that we're gonna face some obstacles and some troubles and some difficulties, but joy is not necessarily guaranteed. We know a lot of people that we've, we know in our world who when we interact with them, it seems that there is no joy in their life. And yet for us in these kind of moments as we're gathering together for a church service, this can feel like kind of an odd topic for a sermon. It's like, Really? Like, don't we have, like, more serious business to take care of than this? Aren't there, like, heavier things? Don't you know what is going on in the world right now? Shouldn't there be something else that we talk about? And maybe for you it's not that. It's the sense of maybe you've been around Christians for a while and thinking, well, those, that, that's not something I ever put together. <laughs> I don't usually equate Christians with joy. <laughs> Sometimes I think the opposite. It's really interesting. Very, very un, it's not likely a connection that people make to think, oh, Christians, church, Christianity, that is where joy is found. It's kind of ironic because Jesus himself was someone who was known to be that way. Yeah. We're not known for our parties, but Jesus was. Oh, yeah. Jesus was constantly being accused of maybe, you know, having too many parties and parties with the wrong people and partying in the wrong way. But for us, sometimes the perception is that Christians are against all of those kinds of things. We're against dancing and card playing and movie watching and fiction book reading and you know, you just kind of keep going on the list. But we actually see a different picture emerge in the scriptures. Then when we open the scriptures, we actually see that wisdom Made the world with joy and for our enjoyment. Wisdom made the world with joy. And for our enjoyment. One of the things that happens often in the book of Proverbs is that wisdom gets personified. The wisdom gets cast as a character. Sometimes it's a father speaking to a son. Sometimes it's lady wisdom. And in chapter eight, we see the personified wisdom being cast as the agents of God in creating. And in Proverbs 8.30, it says this, I was beside him. Wisdom saying I was beside God as a master of crafts, and I was having fun, smiling before him all the time, and frolicking. <laughs> I love this translation, just so I could say the word "frolicking" at one point in the sermon. <laughs> frolicking with his inhabited earth and delighting in the human race. When God made this place, He took great delight in it. He fashioned it carefully and attentively, and he gazed upon it, and then he called it good. And in that process, his own joy was ingrained in the very fabric of the universe. God's own joy was ingrained in the very fabric of the universe. Why? I think just simply so he could share it with us. He did that so that we could enjoy it. Think about our first home, Eden. Eden in Hebrew means pleasure or delight. The very place that we were intended to live was a place that was known as a pleasure garden, as a place of delight. In this garden, we see there was more food than we need. There was splendor that served no purpose. There were unnecessary luxuries. There were things that were placed in the garden that were simply there for us to enjoy. And those things are still here. Breathtaking sights, alluring sounds, exquisite tastes, and bodies that were made to enjoy all of those things. Bodies that were made to belly laugh. Bodies that were made to sing and to dance. Well, most, I have to stay right here. Like, that's, that's about the most that I can do. But others, like, you can dance. I just stand on the side. <laughs> Proverbs says it this way. He says, my child eats honey, <laughs> for it is good. The honeycomb is sweet in your mouth. There are things in the earth that are just designed for us to enjoy. Life is meant to be enjoyed. We know that. But there's another part of us also as the people of God, and sometimes we overemphasize this side, we can't underemphasize it, we just have to hold these things in balance, is that we know that life is meant to be enjoyed, but overindulgence is dangerous. There's a danger here too. Proverbs later on says this, says if you find honey, eat just the right amounts, otherwise you'll get full and vomited up. (laughs) I've never had too much honey, So I've I've never had that problem, but when I was a kid, I loved orange soda until that one night. (laughs) And I've just never been able to have it again. Like it's been 35 years and I've yet to have another taste because I'm brought back to that moment where it was one can too many. We know that overindulgence is folly and that our delight can be downfall. But what does it actually mean for us to enjoy? What are we meant to enjoy and how are we supposed to enjoy it? It's common in our culture to believe that we actually need more in order to be happy. That we'll never really experience joy. We'll never experience the fullness of joy unless we have more than what we already do. I read one ad ad executive one time describe marketing in the United States. And he said, marketing in the world is just the organized creation of dissatisfaction that we, we live in a culture that's constantly trying to make us dissatisfied with what we have so that we will buy more, that we'll believe that we need more things in order to actually find joy in life. Then we need more money or more fame or more followers or more power or more experiences or more gadgets or more relationships or more connections or more whatever. And until we have it, we can't be happy. And if we don't need more, then we at least certainly need different. Like, It's, you know, we have this phone, but that one would be better. Don't need two, but I need a different one in some sense. And we start to believe that we simply can't enjoy life without those kinds of things. And then unless something changes externally for us, we'll never be satisfied. And yet Proverbs teaches an entirely different way of living. The first thing that we see come up out of the book of Proverbs is that the Proverbs teach us that in God's wisdom, we're called to savor what God has already given us. To actually savor what has already been given, what we already have, what is already right in front of us. Proverbs 23 warns us about longing for other things. It says, don't long for the ruler's delicacies, for that food misleads don't wear yourself out trying to get rich, trying to get more. Be smart enough to stop. See, <laughs> so there's a the sense that we have, just think there's more, there's more, there's more than more. And if we chase it, then we'll find joy there. And what the Proverbs tells us is that's actually misleading. That those things are actually making promises that they can't cash. They can't actually deliver and that joy is not actually found there. You can probably think about a, a time in your life where you put all of your effort and energy into like obtaining something. Maybe you saved up as a kid all of your allowance for months and months and months and months and then got something and then found like a year later. I'm not sure where that thing is at. <laughs> right? We think that ultimate joy is gonna be found there and then something else happens. We wanna switch over to that? Thank you, Mr. Jones. Appreciate it, man. That's Ryan Jones, everybody. Be smart enough to stop. It goes on Proverbs 5, says this. It says, drink water from your own cistern, gushing water from your own well. Well, where else are you going to drink water from? (laughs) Right? Your neighbor's cistern is the only other option. But sometimes we think that. Like, we either think that the water is going to taste better out of our neighbor's cistern so we want to, something other than what we actually have? Or we just don't want to do the work to build our own cistern and enjoy the water out of that. My God says, no, 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 no. Dig your own cistern, plaster it and enjoy the fruit of your labors. Enjoy what you have right here. Drink from there. Chances are in our lives that God has already provided for us what will quench our thirst. But it's actually already right around us. Same chapter goes on, it says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Sometimes we think that maybe joy would be found in a different relationship. And I'm not talking about relationships that are toxic and abusive, okay? I'm talking about general relationships that we have. What I need is different spouse. What I need are different kids. What I need are different friends. What I need are different whatever And Proverbs says, no, 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 no. Learn to rejoice in the wife that you've had, the husband that you've had your whole life. Rejoice there. Cultivate joy there. Savor the relationships that you have. Proverbs 27 says, know your flock well and pay attention to your herds. Then the lambs will provide your clothes And the goats will be the price of your fields. And there will be enough goat's milk, which you're all craving right now, I know, for your food and for the food of your house and to nourish your young women. In other words, the sense here is pay attention to what you already have and realize that that is actually enough for you and for others, that it's more than enough. Savor it. Joy is not found in what God has given to another. Joy is found in what God has already given to us. This is the wisdom of the proverbs. Second thing we learn in proverbs is the proverbs teach us to desire life's greater goods. To desire life's greater goods. Proverbs is oftentimes making comparative evaluations, saying some things are better than others. We do the same thing. Macs are better than PCs. It's just a fact, right? In and Out Burger is better than Whataburger. I got California. California cheered and Texas boo. Did you all hear that? Like, that's exactly what just happened in the room. Baseball is better than football, I'm sorry. Like, it just, we got, we got like, that. there's a few of us, like, just hanging in there with the, with the pastime, hoping it's gonna make a rebound. Proverbs is making all these kind of comparisons, but here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says things like this. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure with turmoil. Better a meal of greens, in other words, better is kale with love (laughs) than a plump calf with hate. Better is this, a simple meal with people who love you than a gourmet feast in the presence of hate. Proverbs 17, better a dry crust with quiet, than a house full of feasting with quarrels. All throughout the Proverbs, better to be wise, better to be righteous, better to be humble, better to be patient, better to have self-control, better to be trustworthy, better to have a good name, better to be innocent. Proverbs is going this over and over and over again to remind us that who we are is more important than what we have who we are, that it's actually our character, not our conquests or our acquisitions, which is the key to great joy in life. The key to great joy and enjoying life is being people of character, being people of substance who then have community that gets developed around them. And even if we have little, we find great joy and all that we have in our relationship with God and with others. Proverbs warns us, don't settle for cheap thrills. Don't settle for fleeting highs. Don't settle for lesser joys. Don't sacrifice integrity or fidelity to God and others for something that actually can't deliver the joy that you're really looking for. There's something better out there. Proverbs is always calling us to play the long game. To sow seeds now that we'll reap in our 70s and our 80s and our 90s and our 100s. To sow seeds now so that we can have a life like Miss Linda. To sow those seeds now and to wait patiently for them to bloom and to grow. This is why Christians throughout the ages have actually practiced various forms of self-denial. We fast, But why? Why do we fast? It's so that we can feast on something better. That's why we fast. Why do we abstain from things? Why do we say, no, 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 we don't participate in that. We don't practice that. Why? So that we can taste something better. Because we know that there is something greater out there, that there is greater joy, that there is greater pleasure, that there is something out there that we actually are pursuing not these things that are quick and easy and cheap because they actually can't deliver the joy that we're looking for. Last thing that we see in the book of Proverbs is this, that Proverbs teaches us to delight, not simply in what it is that we have, but to delight in doing good for others. That actually the greatest delights in life are found in that place. We live in a culture that tells us constantly to look out for, one, to look out for number one. I got to get what's mine, right? It tells us that we've got to continue to make sure that we can get ours. It's always talking about acquisition and then about retention, protecting it. Well, I earned this. This is mine. This, how many times in our households do our kids say that? mine 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 and living in this self-guarded self-protected way we're running around punching people in the face trying to get what's ours and then you know body blocking them away from it thinking that now I've got it now I'm going to find joy and instead we've wrecked every relationship in our lives he says no 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 delight in doing good for others proverbs 12:20 says deceit is in the heart of those who plan evil but there is joy for those who advise peace. There is joy for peacemakers in this world, not those who are just antagonistic all the time, looking to pick fights. There's joy for peacemakers. Proverbs 21, acting justly is a joy to the righteous, but dreaded by those who do evil. Proverbs 22, 9, happy are generous people because they give some of their food to the poor. Where's great joy found? In making peace, in establishing justice, in giving generously to those who do not have what they need. Our greatest joys as the people of God are found in doing good. They're not found in self-satisfying lust but in self-sacrificial love. That this is where we find joy. It's that great joy that was actually revealed to us by Jesus on the cross. You remember this famous passage from Hebrews, it says this, it tells us, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, the one who endured the cross, ignoring the shame. Why? Why did he do all of that? For the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him. For the sake of the joy that he saw on the other side of the cross. The great joy for God, the great joy for Jesus was our redemption, was our reconciliation, was our forgiveness was knowing that on the other side of his sacrifice, there would be great joy in bringing all of us into the family of God. So in order to do good for us, he endured the cross. And as his followers were actually called in the same way of living to take up our cross and to follow him and to find that in self-denial in self-sacrifice and in generosity in giving up for others what has already been entrusted to us that in that act of living open-handed, looking to, serving, giving, caring for other people, relinquishing our tight grip on these things, thinking, oh, if I just hold on to this, I'll have joy that actually when we let it go and we see what it does in someone else's life, (gasps) there, joy a greater joy than we could have ever imagined. And in that moment, we actually enter into, partake in the very life of Jesus himself. And we enter into his great joy. So we're always the people who deny ourselves lesser goods, not solely that we can have greater goods ourselves, but also that we might partake in the greatest joy that there is and doing good for others, that we might be vessels and conduits of the very love and joy and peace of God to other people. And we're reminded that this is the life that's set before us every time that we come to the table. Every time we come to the table, we remember, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him in seeing our faces and calling our names and welcoming us into the family and giving us the Holy Spirit for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, ignored its shame for our redemption. Tonight, as we come to the table, I want us to think about this in a very particular way tonight. I think sometimes, and rightfully so, when we come to the table, there's a sobriety about the moment to us of recognizing what Jesus is about to do. That Jesus, as he's gathered with his friends to have this meal, he sees what's coming in front of him, his arrest, his betrayal, his crucifixion, the pain and the suffering. But what happened, oftentimes happens for us in these moments is that we we're holding on to that picture and we forget this passage, for the joy set before him. Is it possible that in that moment with Jesus and his friends around that table, as he was grabbing that bread and grabbing that cup, is it possible that there was actually a smile on his face? Is it possible that he could see joy beyond what was sitting right in front of him, a greater joy that was out there? That as he was coming to the table and he was sitting down with his friends, I'm going to try to open this now with a mic in my hand. This is going to be really interesting. If I spill it all over myself, we can all laugh. But is it possible? As he was sitting there and taking the bread, he looked at his friends. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Is it possible that he looked at him and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which I'm giving for you as someone excited to give people a gift, the gift of his own life. Is it possible that when he took the cup, he did the same thing, he took it and he blessed it. And he said, drink of this, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took great delights in bringing us into his family. And as we come to the table, I want us to take great delight in receiving this gift, that we might learn from him the great delight in doing good for others, that we might in this moment savor what it is that God has already given us, and we might cast our eyes on life's deeper joys, and we might remember the great delights in doing good. This is the body Christ given for us. Take and eat, seeing the joy on Jesus' face and letting his joy fill your heart. And this is the cup shed for us. Receive it now. Remembering the joy that Jesus saw in front of him and asking him to fill our hearts with his great joy. Would you stand with me as we sing tonight?
1: Together in heaven, we, ah, Lord, we praise you. We are so thankful that you call us your own. Oh, Friday night, if, um, I'm gonna bless you in a minute, but if any of you guys would like to come and pray with our altar ministry team, I'd like to invite our altar ministry down. And then we're gonna go play. We're gonna go party. I have one request. Get your kids first, let them come and play with us. But open your hands as I bless you tonight. New Life Friday Night family, would you know that the Lord delights in you? He delights in you, he loves you and he's proud of you. Friday Night family, would you live your lives in such a way fullness of life by delighting in the Lord and would you delight in loving each other and serving each other so now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as we trust in him that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name we prayed. And everyone said, Amen. We're done a little early tonight, so we can go have some fun. It's good to be with you Friday night.